0: to the Snowfighters Institute podcast, where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry, to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds and check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Well, hey, everybody. I am so excited to introduce our special guest today. Josh Flynn is the CEO of Seabreeze Property Services out of Portland, Maine. Uh, Seabreeze if you haven't heard of them yet, uh, they were founded in 1994 and they provide year-round property services to some of Maine's most prominent facilities, neighborhoods, and private residences. How about that? Welcome, Josh.
1: Awesome. No, glad to be here. Thanks, Bill.
0: Glad to have you. Um, So um, we want to hear about your business and specifically your snow business because we have a snow audience here. Um, but our listeners are always really interested to hear about personal stories. So I'd love it if we could just take a minute here or a couple minutes, however long we want and, and really kind of, um, tell us who you are. Like, I'll just kind of hand it over to you. I'd love to hear about your background and kind of, you know, what you, where you came from and I'll let you take that in any direction you want to take it.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, local guy, I'm from Scarborough, uh, which is a suburb of Portland um you know went to school there lived there my whole life I uh I ended up going to college out of state the University of Richmond um studied environmental studies and business uh from there like a lot of folks decided I really didn't have much of a clue what I wanted to do so I uh I joined the United States Peace Corps where I served for uh, a little over two years in uh, the country of Paraguay continuing on the environmental theme I was an environmental education and conservation uh, volunteer Um, when I came back from that, I bounced around a little bit. I ended up in central Virginia growing, um, cut flowers, uh, for both, um, I guess, like wholesale and, uh, straight to consumer. And then after that, I moved back to, uh, Maine with my wife and, um, started in the landscaping industry. Uh, and I did. I worked out in the field for about a year with a with a smaller local company um and then moved over to Seabreeze and I have been here for it will be 5 years on Sunday.
0: Okay. All right, fantastic. Yep. So um wow, that was some interesting stuff. Um tell us about Paraguay. Some some of, some people are looking it up right now going, where is sure. this?
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely doesn't have any snow, or I think that often, maybe once. Um, but they are one of two landlocked countries in South America. Um, they're right dead set in the middle. They border Argentina, Bolivia, and Brazil. Um, you know, a very subsistence farming type of place. I lived about five miles from a paved road. You know, two and a half hours from a from a supermarket. That whole sort of thing. Electricity sparing water six hours a day that, that whole kind of deal. But, uh, I mean, it was a great experience. It's a wonderful place. I think they regularly rank as like some of the happiest people in the world. Um, which I can, I can agree with. Uh, and it's just, it's just a very, very different place than the United States in, in all aspects. Um, but just a great experience overall, you know, helped me figure out, you know, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. So it was a, it was definitely a good, good thing.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Um, you mentioned they were happy. That just made me think that, you know, of, you know, I think the typical American mindset is the more money you make, the happier you are, but there's really not a correlation there, is there?
1: (laughs) No, I I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, they just had really strong communities and, uh, you know, just the daily, the daily tasks I think were times enough. Um, and it wasn't this aspiration for cars and houses and wealth and all that other kind of stuff, but it's just, it, it was a different type of, I guess contentedness
0: yeah so i see a theme environmental studies conservation um growing things what where did all this come from why the passion in those areas
1: uh obviously i mean for anybody who lives in maine or has come to maine like you know the environment plays a big big part of all of our lives um you know whether it's like skiing or hunting or fishing or or all that kind of stuff Um, I grew up on like a small farm that my grandparents ran, um, again, all cut flowers, which is like a very strangely unique niche thing to come full circle. Um, but I always played outside as a kid. It's, you know, it's not like it is today, um, with screens and all that other kind of jazz, but, uh, yeah. And then when I got to college, I started as a business major and I did that for about a year and I just didn't think it was the best fit. Um, so I pivoted and, and started getting more into, you know, environmental issues and trying to link those with, you know, business correlations, um, stuff like that. So I think, you know, I never really thought of landscaping as much of a career path. Um, but now that I look back on it, like it, it kind of seems like it was bound to happen. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I think it's just the lifestyle growing up kind of, you know, it was what I stayed interested in.
0: So how do you make that move? How, or what, what was the inspiration between behind uh, making that move? You were down in Virginia, um, you know, production, nursery production. And then how do you get back? Is it a, a, a way to get back home or, yeah. Um, so, yeah, tell us about that. So
1: I had started um, when I moved back to the States from, from my Peace Corps um, experience, I, it took me. I applied to 43 different places in the city of Richmond, including like dishwashing and all that other, like just anything I could find because I was living on my buddy's floor and didn't have an apartment, didn't have any money. And, you know, I tried I tried finding a job doing anything, uh, which today seems like that would that Unreal. Would be possible. Unreal, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, and there was one internship that, you know, had said they would take me. So the flower farm was only supposed to be six weeks. Um, it lasted three years and, it just, it went from kind of understanding how to grow things to like, Hey, do you maybe want to manage this To Hey, do you want to take over this business? Um, It ended up being a way to come back home because I just, I wasn't necessarily aligned with where the business was going. And, um, my fiance at the time um, was also just kind of like ready to leave. It was central Virginia. There weren't a lot of people. Um, We were looking to start a family and kind of, you know, start another career um so then coming back home was you know i guess a logical next step um and then from there I, I worked like big box retail for four or five months and then realized like this is just not this is just not what i want to do yeah um, tried
0: retail Nope, no thanks tried retail, let's move no.
1: on yeah tried small landscaping um kind of ran out of work and didn't really see where i was going to be able to go um and then applied at Sea Breeze and, and kind of, you know, took off from there. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an opportunity to come back home. I was, I was interested in maybe something that was going to be a little bit more long lasting, a little bit more career building. Wasn't sure what it was, but, um, figured coming back would be a better way to find it.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks for that. Um, some of our listeners have never been to Maine. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough to be there a couple of times, uh, but not, I haven't traveled extensively, just kind of gone up the, uh, we went up to the Fisher Factory. We had uh, a yep. peer group meeting up there. Yep. And uh, Rockland is it? Rockland. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That drive up there from Portland is just amazing. But tell us a little bit about Maine. Like, what's the and your where is Portland uh, located yep. in terms of like the whole state? And maybe even kind of get into what what a normal winter might look like for you guys.
1: Sure. So Maine's like a pretty big state, but all of us are really concentrated in like only a couple different areas um, and primarily near the coast. So Portland, we're about an hour north of the New Hampshire border and two hours north of Boston um, by via I-95. Um, and, you know, Portland itself, uh-huh. I think it's like maybe half a million, 600,000 people in the greater Portland area. Um, this is city itself is really not that big um but there's just kind of this sprawling suburb type of effect um and then as you continue north like another hour north you get to augusta which is the capital uh, a little bit more inland and and then another hour from there you get to bangor and once you get to bangor there's not a whole lot left after that there's some great stuff up there but you know maybe less than 10 percent of the population <clears throat> so very close to the coast obviously um you know, all of our business is between Bangor and Wells. Um, so it's about a hundred and I think it's like 160 or 180 mile stretch. Um, and we've grown that territory over the last couple of years, but obviously a huge focus in Portland and the, you know, within 20 minutes of our shop. <clears throat> typical winter, it's changed a lot. I think typical is like a tough word. And I'm sure you've encountered this when sure. talking with other folks. Um, You know when i started here five years ago the first two winters we had like close to 100 inches of snow uh and it seems like between thanksgiving and april 1st that's all it did and then you know the last last year we only got i think 42 inches uh and 24 of those came in one in one day in december so it was a very very light winter kind of what we've been experiencing is i would say a higher frequency of like one or two just massive storms Hmm and then a lot of icing events the ocean itself creates just like a very difficult environment um, because of the the temperature and just that you get that purple line that we end up dealing with along the coast where you know if it pushes in if the whole system pushes in 20 miles we'll get six more inches than we thought if it kind of the coast holds it off and it you know pushes out to sea then we might not get anything so it's very unpredictable. Um, we've been dealing with a lot more ice, a lot more rain on both the front and the back end of storms. Um, it's just gotten very, very hard to hard to predict, um, and warmer the last couple of years. So, it's it's a little all over the place.
0: Yeah, and how do you bill for ice events? Those are tough. I know there's different <clears throat> models out there. So um, yeah, you know, so uh, what do you do? How do you do it?
1: So our our contracts we we have two types of contracts um, we have what we call an all inclusive so if it snows rains sleets whatever it is like our job is to make sure that your location is safe um, doesn't matter the accumulation how much how little how long it's it's the same monthly monthly charge um, and then we have what we with call with no cap
0: our, straight with, with up no cap. 100% so, unlimited. Okay.
1: No, uh, snow removal is extra, um, you know, for parking spaces and stuff like that, but, uh, no cap. And, um, and the other model that we run is, is what we call a fifteen eighteen or our base. So those contracts include 15 plowing and shoveling events. So typically with like a one and a half to two inch trigger, depending on the client and then 18 treatments, 15 of those are gonna be on those 15 events that we had to shovel and, and uh, plow. And the other three are those, like, you know, an icing event here, a, a little bit of slush there, and that, you know, our customers still want us to come out. <clears throat> we have overages that are prorated. So, you know, if we have to plow a 16th time, it's gonna cost you as much as, you know, say it was a $15,000 plowing and it was a $1,000 a plow, we're gonna charge you another thousand um, bucks that doesn't tend to happen on the plowing side. These are all based on kind of historical numbers of how many plowable events have we had, how many treating events, you know, we keep pretty good data over the last couple of years and then can go back to historical NOAA data. Um, You know, treatments were probably in the low twenties, mid twenties every season. Um, But 18 provides a little bit of a buffer to the customer. So if it's a really light winter, they might not get any overage charges um, and we won't have to use, you know, additional salt and, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So Good. those okay. are the two that we awesome. run. We uh, we don't get into the per service and the TNM very often. Um, if it's the right contract, we will, but we just don't feel that either of those models is really conducive to you know a safe, I would say a safe environment to cover all of our overhead on a month to month basis. Um, with that being said, we're not really gonna have any years where revenue is 40% higher than the year prior on a similar contract base we're just, we're looking for like a very consistent band, um, you know, with good gross margins that we can just depend Mm -hmm. on, you know, just solid year after year. Um, And we're a little bit lucky. Like, I I know that that's not the market in a lot of other states and Mm -hmm. a lot of other areas. Um, But we fight like hell to not not work under those conditions. And to by being the largest provider in our area, we hope that we can kind of like, set the goalposts a little bit mm-hmm. and just be like, nope, like we don't do those types of contracts here. They're not good for, you know, small businesses. They're not really that secure. They're not safe for labor. They're not mm-hmm. good for retention. Um, so, you know, maybe it has an impact, maybe it doesn't, but we've been running this fifteen eighteen model now for, you know, 20 plus years and nothing's, and not a whole lot's changed. Um, so we feel like we're in a good spot.
0: Yeah. I love that. I've been on my soapbox preaching this for many years now. That um, you know, you have to cover your overhead, and you have to take that position, and you have to educate the customer. And everyone says, "Well, that you can't do it, and it's tough to do it." And I get that. <laughs> and some customers you can't educate, but but if you have a reasonable customer who's understanding that you are basically the fire department, and you've made this significant investment, think about all the investment you have up front, starting. Wait, you know, months and months and months before the first snowflake falls, right with the yep. equipment, with materials, with hiring people, training, you know, going to, you know, educational conferences, like all the stuff you do, insurance, all that is for their benefit. Yep. And then if it never pays and you're up all night, all winter, looking out the window, waiting for it to oh. snow. So if it never snows, they don't owe you a dime. Like that doesn't make sense. You've been there for their behalf. I'm happy to pay the fire department to sleep in their firehouse down the road, and never come to my house. Yep, I'm more than happy to pay that bill. There's no yep. difference. We just have to educate them and stand our ground and say, "This is what we're all about." You want to hire someone that isn't set up the way we are? They're right over there. Go hire them. Right. See you later. You yep. know. So I love that. Love that philosophy. Okay. So we we went real deep into a little conversation there about ice storms. In billing, let's back okay. up a little bit. Yeah. Kind of big picture. Tell us about Seabreeze. What kind of company is it? <laughs> kind of do you have multiple locations?
1: Yeah, and I'll let so, you take that wherever you want to go. Sure. Uh, founded in 1994. Um, a couple of brothers started it, you know, pretty normal landscaping story, you know, truck and a mower type of deal. Um, grew it to a pretty significant size. Um, Seabreeze was purchased in 2015 by a private equity company um, who helped kind of transition the ownership and uh, the leadership structure and kind of support it for growth going forward. Um, and today we are, uh, we have about a hundred employees. So that's in the low to mid seventies on the field side um, and low to mid twenties on the management side. Um, and in the winter we'll, supply about about 25 of our revenue will be covered by subcontractors um we like to partner with subcontractors so a lot of times we'll utilize a construction company that has a couple loaders and a couple operators and we will be the folks on the walkways and running the site and the plow trucks and managing the zones and things like that it just seems to be a good deal for both parties um with that being said we have uh, about 60 plow trucks um you know, 30 loaders, another 15 skids, uh, numerous walkway machines of varying sizes and shapes. Um, we utilize a pretty significant on-call list of folks who are willing to pop in, you know, nights and weekends, you know, make some extra cash. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the workforce as it stands today. We're, we're about 50% snow. Um, and then 30, 35% maintenance, just normal mowing, pruning, mulching, weeding, those types of things. And then another 15% of landscape construction, um, sweeping, paving, a little bit of irrigation and uh, some lawn care, spraying, those types of things. Um, And we have three locations now. So we're based out of Portland. about 50% of our grounds maintenance revenue, 55, comes out of Portland. The rest of it comes from, um, we have a branch in Topsom, which is about 35 minutes north and services the Topsom Brunswick area in the mid coast. And then we have another location up in Bangor, um, about an hour and 40 minutes from there. Um, that's a, a newer branch. We started it just this spring um, through an acquisition that we made. And we're nice. hoping that you know we can open up that market because there's a decent... There's a decent market up there. Um, it's just a little bit little bit ways away. Um, and then on the snow side, it's it's 50% in Portland and 50% in the other two markets. Um, we've got some pretty large clients up in the Midcoast area. We've started doing some work for the main DOT. Um, we've started doing some plowing for small towns, um, which has been an interesting endeavor. So a little bit diversified on that side. Um, and then in terms of customer makeup, uh, commercial, 10% residential, and, you know, almost all of that 10% residential is project work. So patios, walkways, hardscapes, tree removal, plantings. We, we have just a few residential maintenance customers. Um, and I feel like we think about taking on more every year and then we just get, you know, loaded up with commercial customers and we're like, we're going to stick to what we know how to do.
0: Right. Was the business uh, really focused on and heavily in snow right from the beginning, or has that transitioned to a heavier percentage? Just I love the fact that you said fifty percent snow, but I don't hear that very often.
1: Yeah, I think I think when the company was purchased in two thousand fifteen, it was probably right around there as well. Um, I can't speak to many years before that, but it's always, you know our largest customer is a, is a large local hospital. And, you know, that's been a significant amount of snow revenue for years and they were the first customer and they're still on board. Um, so I think it's just a really good way to utilize, you know, your crews and your equipment in the winter. If you set, if you set your contracts up, right. And you retain your employees, other than that, like Maine's just not a very hospitable place to do winter work. I know a lot of people will tent and heat hardscapes and it just it seems like a whole lot more work than it's worth when I'd rather just push snow. Sure. Um, but you know, there's just not a whole lot of other opportunities. Our seasons are you know our snow season is technically five months long. So there's not a huge difference in terms of time frame between snow and grounds. Um, that time frame seems to be shrinking over the past few years but more closer to like four months and eight. But yeah, it just seems, you know, I think we've been doing it this way for quite some time. Um, I actually think that that 50% number will probably get bigger um, just because of the demand and and where I think everything is going, but we'll have to see over the next few years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, You know, the big issue everyone is concerned about right now is labor. So um, what does that situation look like for you guys?
1: Yeah, I think like everybody, it's, it, it can be cyclical at times. It seems like in landscaping and snow, there's always like two time periods during the year where you either get a bunch of employees coming in the door, you also get a bunch leaving. And that's usually in those like transition months. And that that definitely happened to us this past April, um, along with a lot of other businesses in various different industries, um, but lost a few folks. At the same time, we've been really you know, putting the pedal down on trying to recruit new talent, um, putting greater emphasis on retaining our current talent. Um, you know, we've in, we've increased wages this year about 11%, um, and then instituted other on top of everything else we've already been doing. You know, stronger referral bonuses, some sign-on bonuses, kind of some things that a lot of people have been trying. Frankly, heading into this winter is probably better staffed than we've been in the past few okay. years. Okay. Um,
0: how that happened? And I think just a result of all your efforts.
1: You know, we've been trying really hard over the summer to to kind of give everybody an idea of what the winter is going to look like. And one of the things we talked about last spring was just how everybody was going to be compensated. And it's very common in our market, um, as I'm sure as it is in others, to you know put your field staff on salary for the winter, or in some markets, you know even let them go on unemployment and bring them back on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just, we haven't been doing that shuffle, um, for, for about five years, the last few years, we've been running a, like a hybrid loan program, um, which guaranteed the employees a certain amount of, uh, hours a week. And then we would loan them the rest to get them to a 40 hour paycheck. Uh, and they could pay it back with overtime. It was a little bit complicated. Um, And I think it had mixed reviews from from the team over the past couple of years. Um, So last spring, you know, we kind of said, we have a feeling that labor is going to be a problem. We want to continue to secure, you know, the finances of our crew members so they don't have to worry about what's going to happen over the winter. Is it going to snow? Is it not? Um, So this winter, we're going to be guaranteeing everybody's paychecks for 40 hours and then paying overtime and differentials uh, on top of that. So, you know, last year, if they worked 25 hours, we'd give them uh, a 40 hour paycheck, but they'd owe us the 15 hours worth of pay back. This year, if they work 25 hours, we're going to pay them for 40. And, you know, the rest of it is just the cost of retaining your employees. And if they work 45 or 50 or some crazy, you know, weeks, we get into 80 hour, 70, 80 hour weeks with two, two storm storms, you know, they'll get, they'll get the overtime just like they would during the summer. So, I think that that's definitely having an effect on retaining our current employees because I would usually I would usually expect two to three folks that we had to, you know, maybe try out another company in the area because they were going to put them on salary, they weren't going to have to deal with the loan, all that kind of stuff. Um, I just, you know, it seems like the right thing to do by our employees, and then it was on our sales team to just make sure that we secure the right amount of revenue and the right amount of work. Um, so we feel pretty, pretty well prepared and, mm-hmm. you know, applications have been up over the last few weeks. Um, we're just trying something different. You know, we've done the math. It, it might hurt my margin by a point, a point and a half, somewhere in that range, but it's just, it's well, well, well worth it.
0: Um, when you think of the cost of um, turnover and training a new employee who's going to make mistakes correct. and have to learn everything and, yep. you know, the big learning curve they're, they're you know. There, there has to be a huge value to having a, a good employee retained versus replacing them. You for know, sure. what is that cost, right? Times the number of employees you have.
1: Well, and particularly in the winter too, because you know, the conditions for, you know, plowing a snowstorm as opposed to, you know, mowing a lawn are, mm-hmm. are tremendously different. And, you know, if somebody knows where the curbs are or where that one particular manhole cover is or where the snow is supposed to go. You know that stuff that takes time and and that's frankly i think that a lot of times that's why customers will retain you know their service providers as well they don't want to go through the hassle of training somebody else and teaching them how to do it um so it's kind of the same philosophy with our with our employees
0: so how do you get the word out what are you doing to let people know that you have some opportunities and sure. and you have this new pay structure how are you communicating that to the market
1: so we've you know, obviously on, you know, websites like indeed, um, and then Facebook has been, has been pretty helpful, uh, just a lot of retargeting ads and, and kind of using marketing tactics that we've used on the sales side, but on the recruiting side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's short, it's short money. It, it doesn't cost a whole lot and it doesn't need to be a crazy, you know, high production value video. Um, and honestly, I think our, our, our hit rate on hiring is going to be a little bit lower in this instance, as opposed to somebody on a, on more of a jobs website who's actively looking for employment. But, you know, at this point, like more than happy to take a, you know, one out of 30 or a one mm-hmm. out of 20 sort of scenario to get somebody else in the door and, and teach them how we do things. Um, and then referrals, our strongest and best source of new employees is referrals from our current employees. You know, they people considering getting into this industry or changing companies, you know, they're more likely to trust a friend or somebody who's been working there for a little while. Um, it's been very, very helpful. Um, I think we, you know, we try and compensate our employees pretty well for those, you know, kind of contributing to the greater good of the team, um, by finding more folks. And I think also during the winter, like, plow truck drivers don't want to have to get out to like shovel their walks and, or like plow 40 sites instead of 20. So it's, it's, strictly to their advantage Mm -hmm. to help us find some people to to kind of lighten the load
0: for sure yeah no that's a great attitude about it um referrals have always been historically number one and um you know if you know if there's a company out there thinking well we're just not getting anything from referrals um could be the amount but it also could be your culture and just the the way people feel about the company so sometimes that's a little bit of a But that's great. If referrals is your number one strongest source, I mean, that just speaks volumes about what you have going on within your company where people are, you know, willing to invite Mm -hmm. people to come in and check it out. So that's cool. Um, When you think about your snow business, you know, think equipment, technology, um, whatever, just the whole thing. What do you, what would you like to share with our listeners here? What's, what's really kind of, um, you know, what's working well for you when it comes to snow? What are some of the sure. go-to things that, that you can share with us?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, for, I think it might seem obvious to larger companies who might do like a really high amount of revenue to have some one person specifically focus on the business. Um, you know, we have a guy in house, you know, Chris Rafe who has been doing this for almost 20 years and he's got you know, it seems simplistic, but he's got those two big giant whiteboards and those boards run 12 months out of the year. So I think it's really a 12 month approach to the, to, you know, the snow season, um, constantly evaluating contracts coming in and out, you know, pieces of equipment that we're going to need. I mean, we, we pre-bought all of our, our loaders in April because we just knew that mm-hmm. it was the supply sure. issues. were going to continue smart, but I think it's, you know, having a dedicated person who can handle that situation and really understands the business, um, or creating that position and focusing on it that way, I think has worked wonders for us, you know, that 12 month snow mentality, um, on the equipment side, like for me, and, and this probably goes against the grain of, of where a lot of, I guess, attention is being paid is on the technology side from an equipment standpoint, I prefer simple. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of fancy push boxes and different snow blowers and all this other kind of stuff to me, none of that really matters at two o'clock in the morning, if you blow a hydraulic line, and then all of a sudden your plow is rendered useless. So, you know, we focus on, you know, primarily just simplistic plows, push boxes, you know, the same spreaders across the company, um, our walkway machines are, are probably a little bit on the pricier side, but they're just, they're just beefy and they're like small armored tanks. So those tend to do a really great job. What brand and, is that? So we use Ventrac. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, on the equipment side, we also run mostly leasing model. So, um, we find that leasing is the best situation for us because it can, it reduces the amount of, you know, maintenance work that we have to do in repairing something that gets older and older and older and older, because as difficult as it is, it, as it is to find walkway help, I think it's even harder to find a qualified and good mechanic that you can trust. Um, we happen to have uh, a great one and a couple of other folks that, ha- that help him out. Um, I, on the, yeah, on the equipment side, I mean, that's that's kind of where our focus has been, as simple as better. Um, Yeah. And the technology side, like we run Aspire. So we've made Aspire work for us on the snow side. Um, It just, I would say that our data entry is not as great as it could be because I think it's really hard to have your team members who are out shoveling, like punching in and out of tickets all night. Um, We make up for it in different ways and have other ways of evaluating our data, but just in terms of understanding You know historical contract values and you know gross margins and all this kind of stuff it's just and and even scheduling you know we've got 255 different properties over 180 mile stretch with at any one point well over if you include subcontractors like you know 150 to 200 people working there's a lot of data and a lot of inputs to manage um we've had we've had some good success Um, it's a pretty flexible program for us Um, and then, you know, in terms of other things, like we're a Google company, so, you know, we do video walkthroughs of our properties Okay. and we upload them to Google drive. Anybody can go find them. It's all in one place. We share the space, you know, we do a lot of mapping. So all the maps are in the same spot. There's links from the work tickets for our crews to be able to access them out in the field. Um, and then if anybody isn't using GPS, I don't know. I don't know how you function um, or, or protect yourself from an insurance liability standpoint. Um, so, you know, GPS in everything, not just the trucks, like it's in all of our heavy pieces of equipment. We always know where it is. We always know when it's moving. You know, it's just there's a lot of logistics that go into, you know, a snowstorm, um, which I guess on a, you know, our base could be, you know, half a million dollars per storm. And it just it, it takes a lot. So
0: you also using GPS for, um, analytics, such as idle time and hard stops and those types of things, or is it more location? And
1: it's more, it's more location. We focused on the idle time for, for a while, like Mm -hmm. pretty heavily. And it just, it didn't seem to make as much of an impact as we, as we thought, um, with that being said, like in the winter, I mean, our, our guys have got to stay warm. Of course, so, you right. know, I don't, the truck's we're, always we're, idling. The truck's always <laughs> idling. Like, Let's be honest. You
0: know, I, <laughs> what are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> what,
1: what, what am I really going to do about it? And I don't want to do anything. Like I want right. them to be comfortable, get of a course. break, that sort of thing right. during the summer. Yeah. If you're out mowing the lawns, like it doesn't need to be running. And I think, I think for the short period that we focused on it, we were able to curb a lot of it, you know, any of the stuff we didn't want going on, um, and then in terms of braking and, and I would say speed, like we get some updates on speed going up and down the highway and we'll just shoot a, you know, give them a quick call or okay. give their manager a quick call and be like, Hey, I'm all about efficiency and, and getting from A to B, but you got to be doing it safely.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause
1: those extra few minutes are, are not worth it.
0: Yeah. What about uh, use of liquids? Um, I would imagine with all the moisture content, um, you know, I've been talking to some folks, heavy in the industry. And it seems like the liquid programs are a lot more, um, adaptable where it's dry and versus where, you know, there's a lot of moisture content in the air. So
1: to be honest, like this is a, like a grayer area of my expertise. We do some brining, um, on a couple of different locations. I feel like less than the you know, we're, we're kind of an early adopting company and we're certainly interested in doing more. I think it's been the initial like startup that we've kind of got hung up on each year of working it into our process and, you know, understanding how to charge for it, how to experiment with it to get customers on board. Um, I definitely think it's where the industry's heading and and whether they like it or not, because from an environmental standpoint, you know, Mm -hmm. calcification of body water, water, bodies of water, and all that other kind of stuff, I just, we're just not there yet. And, you know, one of the other struggles for me is, you know, taking a a plow truck out of commission or a spreading truck out of commission to make it a brining vehicle. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, over the past couple of years, and this year is going to be no exception because of the shortage of trucks we're just not running that many spares to kind of afford ourselves the time to experiment as much as we'd like so we've been doing it a little bit more on our walkway machines um and a couple other a couple other trucks um here and there more as like uh, um, saddle tanks mm-hmm. but other than that we're we're not there yet we're gonna get there um but it's it's just i don't think this year's gonna be the year
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think the industry is moving in that direction. And maybe that's a good segue into talking about the industry a little bit. I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, just kind of state of the industry and even kind of post COVID, if that affected you with your commercial properties, or if you feel like you're back to back to square one, but just talk to us about the snow industry in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, just like the rest of the green industry, it's gonna, you know, I've talked about labor with some other folks, like, it's just, I think it's only going to get harder, um, unfortunately, because, I mean, being in the snow industry, like it takes a pretty unique person to be willing, you know, some of the storms in Maine, I mean, they'll last 28, 30, 40 hours. Mm -hmm. And to be willing to, to kind of sacrifice the time and and do that, it takes a, a, a special individual. And I don't think that, you know, maybe us as an industry or, whoever, like we're not really like, I think cultivating that many more people like that on a, on a year to year basis. Um, you try to convert folks and, and show them the benefits of being part of the team. And, you know, the, whenever we deploy for a storm or, or, or a snow event, it's just, I mean, it's beautiful. Like everybody leaving all the stuff is out. You know, if it goes according to plan, like it's a huge logistical undertaking that everybody should be proud of. It's just, I think there are fewer and fewer people who are going to be willing to do this and less so on the industry, like on the contractor side, on the customer side, I they're just going to like, prices are going to go up mm-hmm. and it's not, if, if people think, you know, a candy bar at the grocery store going up 25 cents is bad, like wait till you start seeing what some of this stuff is going to start costing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, our salt price went up for the first time in four years by 30%, you know, labor has gone up by 11 I mean, the price of a truck nowadays compared oh, yeah. to even two or three years ago, it's it's hard to keep up with because the customers don't expect or understand it to cost more than it did the year prior. We had a strong reputation for offering three-year contracts with no escalation because we understood in that 15, 18 or all-inclusive environment, going to have one year where it's not going to snow much and you're going to feel like you got cheated a little bit, but the next year might snow a ton and you're going to save money and it costs me a little bit more mm-hmm. and then we have one year where it kind of evens out. I can't even afford to take that sort of chance anymore. Yeah. So, I think I think the industry over the last 20 years has probably been pretty undervalued for what we do for our customers. And that's not saying that they're, you know, our customers are cheap or they they don't they don't like us or anything like that. It's just the amount of time and effort and capital that it takes to, to be ready for one storm is tremendous. Mm-hmm. And because of all the shocks to like our inputs in the last 12 to 18 months, prices are going to rise quickly. Now they might level out, say, four or five years from now, if things go back to whatever normal we think is going to be normal. Um, but it's just, it's going to be a shock to the system. And and the other thing is, is, there's a mass exodus right now of smaller businesses who aren't able to handle that type of stuff. And we've been getting calls from customers who are like, listen, I know you said no, that you couldn't take us on mm-hmm. this year. I've called 15 people. I, I do not have anybody to plow my condos. Yeah, I desperate. don't have anybody yeah. to plow my store. And I I said it to the team today in an operations meeting. I said, after one or two storms this winter, there's going to be a news story and it's going to say like lots full of snow, like customers can't get in Mm -hmm. because there's just not enough of us doing it.
0: That's the same thing with all the restaurants being closed and, you know, it's
1: going to be the same thing. And, And frankly, during the grounds maintenance season this year, we were understaffed. But we were able to kind of fight through it. You can schedule differently. Like newsflash, if you don't mow on Wednesday, nothing bad's going to happen if you mm-hmm. mow on
0: Thursday. Right, snowstorms a, a whole whole different animal.
1: It's crazy. Everything has to be ready to go at the same mm-hmm. time. That's a so great point. Yeah, I think industry wise, there's going to be a lot of education to our customers that's going to be needed. There's going to be need to be some flexibility. I think on either side of the table. And just an, an overall understanding of like, hey, like if if I'm going to do this to make sure that your business stays open so that you can continue to sell products and services, then like I'm going to need to make a little bit more than I have in the past. Not because I'm greedy, but because I have so much more in cost than, than I did a year ago, two years ago. Yeah.
0: And who knows where this is going to go? I mean, we're we're right now, while we're having this interview, we're in a very serious supply shortage crisis. Um, you know, is that going to be here six months from now or a year from now or who knows? But yeah, the price of everything has just been going to skyrocketing. I, think, I, I agree with your year thoughts risk. about the multi-year contracts too. I would really shy away from those.
1: Yep. So, and we're building in escalators, right? Like I'll take some of the risk. It's just your understanding that it's going to be five or 6% increase every year. And that's, you know, maybe it tracks with inflation, maybe it doesn't, but that's kind of where we're at. The, um, the other thing that I think is going to continue to happen is, uh, you know, what we're seeing in the more the roads and towns sort of aspect, which I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. um, Those guys have been doing it for 30 or 40 years, Mm -hmm. and they're wanting to retire. Um, you know, we, we do some towns up in the mid coast area where they don't maintain a municipal crew. You know, if you don't live in a big city, Mm -hmm. you have a contractor who does your town, who plows your town, right? Um, those guys are getting fewer and far between, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we've just entered into that market. I think it's a very interesting market to be in and to try to get into the, the trouble is, is that it also requires a class B license. So you're dealing with, hey, I think this industry is going to have a ton of opportunity, but oh, by the way, there's already not enough truck drivers who don't have <laughs> right. to do it at two o'clock in the morning with a blade on right. the front of their. Table. So that's another one that if, you know, towns and you know, small cities even that have been relying on contractors, like that's gonna get that's gonna get tougher too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other, I mean, with climate change and all this other kind of stuff, like maybe it just starts snowing less. Uh, you know, maybe last year's not a fluke and that starts to become the norm and we can all handle 40 inch winters with fewer contractors and things like that. But I would say that you probably- just jinxed
0: us. You're going to have a hundred inches this winter.
1: <laughs> I, I, I hope not. I mean, we, we like to think that we're prepared either way, but, um, yeah, I, I you know, the weather's tough to predict, but. So I want
0: to ask you about the acquisition. Was that a? Um, how did that come about? Was that did you seek out a company to acquire, or did they approach you?
1: Yeah. So we are we're owned by a private equity company called Chenmark, and they're based out of Portland, and um, they own and help operate like a handful of other small small businesses, um, a couple of other prominent landscape and snow removal companies, as well as you know, some tourism, um, some food production, lawn care, you know, kind of diversified portfolio. Um, so they're, you know, they get inquiries both inbound and also on the outbound side to, to purchase other companies, um, you know, in the area. Um, so for us, there was a tuck in opportunity. Um, they actually approached us. Um, and it just, you know, we worked through the deal. It was a good geographic, uh, area for us. Uh, we were familiar with a lot of their client base. They were a bit of a competitor. Um, and it just seemed to make a ton of sense. Uh, it grew our snowbook tremendously. And, and if there's a piece of advice I would give to other snow contractors, it's probably not to purchase a snow company two weeks before the season starts. <laughs> um, but thankfully, snow- the yeah, timing's everything. Thankfully, snow came a little bit later last year. Um, but you know, we're seeing, Opportunity for acquisition and partnerships all over the place. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people right now who are probably frustrated and mm-hmm. are just not interested in, you know, the grind of having you know six, eight, ten, fifteen employees and trying to find them and rising costs and all that other kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll see where that goes for our business. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we acquire a couple others in the next you know three to five years, something like that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And all my clients are out looking because those people are, those, those small companies are prime to be acquired. Like you said, you have, you have an owner who has, you know, maybe five or six really solid people. They need 15. So they're super frustrated, but so, so, so the owner and, and his five rock solid rock stars are up for grabs. You can roll that company and tuck them in and sure. acquire their book of business now you just added six really good people to your team yep you absolutely. didn't you didn't get 15 because there wasn't 15 that's why they wanted to right. sell but you got six yeah. and, and there was some good value there so there's gonna be a lot of that going on absolutely sure. um okay what what have we talked about what do you want to talk about on the, on the industry side i'm kind of curious about some of the things that maybe you've been involved in or your or your company is focused on in terms of you know professional development and training and just some of the things going on in the industry like what do you guys take advantage of that's out there
1: yeah so we've we've taken advantage of a little bit of the assignment training um you know probably not as much as we would have liked um but you know here there we'll find you know we've been to the conference a couple of times um, to get some networking opportunities in um i'm on the uh executive board for melna which is the main uh, landscape and nurserymen's association Um, so just interested in, you know, kind of where the industry, both from a growing side Mm -hmm. and from a landscaping side is going in the state. Um, you know, this winter we're, we're utilizing a lot of, um, national association of landscape professional training, um, with this guaranteed program that we're going to be running, you know, our goal is for us to make the time for about a hundred hours of training per employee, um, over the course of the winter. So putting a lot of effort right now into, you know, building what that coursework is going to look like, um, both on safety training, technical training, um, some customer service, uh, soft skills, things like that. Just trying to, you know, prepare us better for next season than we were for this, this past season, um, you know, help form and shape the identity of the company a little bit more. Cause we've been around for 27 years, but I tell a lot of people we're about a three year old company. Um, so we've still got a lot of growing and learning to do. Um, But yeah, I mean, not not tremendously involved across the industry, kind of tucked up into our own little corner here. And uh, I will say that being a part of the, you know, the Chenmark portfolio is we get to work alongside a a handful of other, um, you know, large landscape and snow removal companies, which, which frankly, is really great for me, because they're run by, you know, a handful of great people that I can consistently bounce ideas off from and, and, and talk about problems that sometimes other folks, you know, inside your company or, or even consultants and stuff just aren't necessarily going to understand. Um, so, you know, we meet pretty regularly. It's a pretty solid peer group. Um, we participated in other peer groups in the past. I think COVID kind of threw a wrench into like everything. Mm -hmm. So we kind of put a lot of stuff on pause. Um, but yeah, I I really think that, you know, the portfolio nature has been, has been super helpful. Um, And I I haven't been in the industry a tremendous long time. I mean, about six years. So I don't know, I know a handful of folks in the area, but I'm gradually, you know, meeting with more and and building out sort of the Rolodex uh,
0: on that, but. Yeah, cool. So if you had a prospective employee or a prospective customer listening to this podcast, what would you tell them? Oh, I
1: mean about sea breeze in
0: general. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we're, we're a company who tries to do everything with a lot of professionalism. Uh, we try to be as reliable as possible. Um, and we try to do it all safely. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hardworking folks here who, you know, are skilled employees who've been doing this for a long time. They take a lot of pride in their work. Um, we have a tremendous management staff that really is dedicated to the needs of our customers and the needs of our employees. You know, they work a lot more than they are, I would say are clocked in for. Um, and, you know, particularly for those in the winter, like, you know, this is what we live and breathe every single day, you know, 12 months out of the year. Um, not just when it's snowing, it's really when it snows is really just the culmination of all of our efforts. Um, and we're just looking forward to, You know, we've grown 40% in the last year, you know, about 5% of each year prior to that. And we're just looking looking forward to continuing to grow, you know, being as efficient and successful as we can be, you know, providing more opportunities for our employees, you know, good, like solid paying jobs to a lot of folks um, and just, you know, coming to work every day, doing the best job that we can.
0: Yeah. Cool. Josh, thank you so much. This has been awesome hearing about Seabreeze. And uh, connecting with you, I hope to see you at some industry event one of these days soon. Hopefully, uh, now that we're all back in person, and it's just been great spending some time with you. So, Thank you again for, for being here. Yeah, no, thanks, Bill. I appreciate we'll it. We'll talk soon. Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Snowfighters Institute podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go for it.